Welcome to Big Sky Christian Fellowship. It's very nice to have you worshiping with us this afternoon. Um, I'd like to start off our uh, exploration of the life of Samson by reading a passage from uh, Judges 16. So here's Judges 16, 23 to 30. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to their God and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he performed for them. Uh, when, they stood among, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hands, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, all the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please, God, strengthen me just one more time, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my eyes. And Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines, and he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. All right, so uh, we're going to wrap up our series on how we can find glimpses of Jesus and the Old Testament book of the Judges by giving a quick overview of the life of Samson. I think it's so beautiful how the Old Testament is history. It's real people and it's real places and it's places you can go uh, and there's artifacts that remain. But of course, uh, the Bible's not full of stories just so we can learn about history. So inside this historical story, there is relevance and guidance uh, and gospel hope for our modern lives. So I wanted to start off by talking about how one of the great things that is valued in the American culture is leadership. And to try to illustrate that, I went online today to uh, the Barnes & Noble website. That is just a, um, a popular bookseller. And I typed in leadership because I wanted to see how many books you can buy that fall under the category of leadership. So I thought it would be fun if you just turned to the person next to you and estimated how many books you think you can buy that are categorized by leadership. All right. So it's probably way higher on Amazon, but on Barnes and Nobles, there are 20,608 books about leadership. And I think that shows how much in our culture we are desperately seeking people with leadership gifts. So I know this is anecdotal, but I just, I looked on the, just even the very first page of books that popped up. I think there were some really telling things. So uh, the third book that popped up is a book on leadership by a famous basketball coach. And I think that's significant because a lot of people feel like leadership is all about winning or losing. And it kind of makes sense that if we can just find somebody who can win at something simple like college sports, maybe we can learn their secrets and we can be winners in wherever it is that we Lead. That was the third most popular book that came up. The sixth most popular book that came up was uh, Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun. <laughs> I'm not making this up. That was the sixth most popular book that was listed. 
And I think that's super telling that a, a politician or a CEO or a salesman would read a book uh, on leadership from somebody that's famous for killing hundreds of thousands of people that didn't align with what it was that he wanted. And I think what's so telling about that is that for so many of us, not only is, is leadership just about winning, but if we're willing to learn from a ruthless uh, empire builder from centuries ago, it, it kind of shows that, that we're willing to win at any cost, right? If we can win in leadership, it doesn't matter the body count in the way, and then this was really interesting because there's obviously something more to leadership than just winning at any cost. And the, the, the eighth book that came up, I've never read any of these books, by the way, but the eighth one that came up was titled The Five Graces of Life and Leadership. And I think that suggests that uh, deep down we know that there are gentle, subtle gifts involved in leadership beyond just winning at any cost. So it's with those sort of three random books that I want to introduce us to the story of Samson, which is very much about leadership. Uh, but I'll just kind of uh, give you a spoiler warning. It's about bad leadership. We're not supposed to be like Samson. He's a terrible leader. He's a terrible man. And it's supposed to create a tension in our minds as an audience longing for a better leader and, and, and trying to foster hope and somebody that can push past some of these flaws uh, and show us a better way to lead, a better way to follow, a better way to live. So I've got a bunch of sermon notes, uh, but I just kind of get this sense that it would be a really bad 30-minute sermon, uh, but it would be a pretty solid, like, 15-minute sermon. So um, if, if I say anything that's not explained thoroughly and you just have some questions, my email is in the bulletin. Shoot me an email, and I would love to explain kind of why I'm saying what I'm saying, um, but, uh, but just for the sake of time and not getting too deep, uh, I'm going to try to give a, a, maybe a little bit of a summary. So I want to approach the story of Samson, which is in your Bibles in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. I just want to talk about it in two quick parts. And the first part, I want to talk about how there are some discouraging aspects of this man, Samson, and it kind of predicts all the terrible bosses all the terrible politicians, all the terrible pastors, and all the terrible leaders that we will sometimes find ourselves interacting with. Human leadership is often flawed, and I think Samson kind of predicts and shows a lot of the flaws that our leaders have. But what I really want to talk about and what this series is really about is how there's also encouragement in the life and the story of Samson. And that's what I want to focus the majority of our sermon and teaching time on today. So very quickly, I'd like to point out four things that are definitely flaws in Samson's life, in Samson's personality, in Samson's leadership. Uh, I hope that you guys get a chance either right now or later this week to read through Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. It's such a beautiful example of how these stories that we think we know are just filled with so many nuances that can give us just uh, insights and guidance uh, for modern life. Well, the first thing that uh, we should notice as we read through the life of Samson is that he has a woman problem, a big woman problem. Uh, and if you're actually reading the story in the original Hebrew, you'll, you'll notice over and over again this word woman, woman, woman. And it's not used in derogatory ways. It's just telling us, it's getting our attention that, that Samson's going to make a lot of mistakes because of the way that he treats women. 
for example, did you guys have, like there's a lot to the story that they don't tell you in Sunday school. So we sent the kids to Sunday school, and now I'm going to tell you guys uh, uh, the part that your Sunday school didn't tell you. He's such a terrible person that he gives away his first wife. Right? That's not a good leader. That's not a good man. He just flat out gives her away. Uh, another chapter starts uh, by telling us that he's in a brothel, and it just kind of describes it in a way where, where Samson's always probably hanging out in brothels. And uh, finally, it's, it's, we're told that he loves this woman, Delilah, um, but uh, she actually sells him. She sells his secret. She sells him for the Philistines. So there's a lot of other examples. I'm just trying to give you a quick overview. The main reason why Samson fails time and time again is his outlook um, and his exploitative attitude towards women. But there's more to Samson's flaws. He just has a general problem with restraint. He can't help himself. Uh, we're told in, the, in chapter 13 that Samson's mother is barren. She can't have children. And this angel comes and says, you will have a child and he'll be a mighty deliverer for God's people. But there's some conditions. There's some things that he has to do. You guys have probably heard this in other Old Testament stories. He's not supposed to drink alcohol or liquor. Uh, he's not supposed to eat anything that's defiled or from a, from a dead carcass. Uh, there's, there's a whole Jewish law about what's considered unclean. Uh, and of course, there's the famous part where he's not supposed to cut his hair because it's going to be a symbol of God's favor and power. Well, it kind of takes somebody who's reading or listening to this story very carefully. But for those that are listening or reading carefully, uh, when he meets his first wife in that whole chapter, he's hanging out in the vineyard, which isn't a great sign for somebody that's not supposed to drink alcohol. There's that famous part of the story where he gives this riddle to the Philistines when they're having this feast, which of course would have had a lot of drinking. And in his riddle, he talks about how he ate honey from the carcass of a lion. So over and over again, the narrator is giving us these clues that Samson's not taking God's promises seriously. He's not keeping those Nazarite vows. He, 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 he's just not spiritually attuned to what God has asked him to do. Another thing that uh, I want to point out is that uh, Samson's is pretty dull. He's, he's, he's kind of a dimwit. And if you uh, understood the original Hebrew, if you, if you read something that's like a very literal translation, um, he kind of talks like a caveman. The vocabulary that he uses aren't even full sentences. They're just very, they're like, they're just fragmented phrases. And the story's trying to tell us that he's not articulate. He's not intelligent. Um, this reminds me of a podcast I heard once that was talking about America's worst presidents. Um, is anybody here related to Warren Harding? Because if so, I'm just going to stop right now. All right. Anyway, a lot of historians believe that Warren Harding was one of our worst presidents. He just didn't accomplish much, and his whole tenure as president was just filled with, with scandal after scandal and corruption after corruption. And so they kind of ask this question, like, how did he get elected? And they come to the conclusion that he was just a really handsome guy. And so kind of the uncomfortable truth is that sometimes we pick our leaders because they look like what we think a leader is supposed to look like. And of course, that's devastating when they're not perceptive, when they're not uh, in tune with how God wants people to lead. And that's what we see in the story of Samson. Finally, you know, when you're a little kid, 
Samson is like the best Sunday school story because it's almost like a comic book. It's almost like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like there's, there's fighting and there's muscles and there's violence. And so sometimes that is kind of for, maybe for little kids, an intriguing part of the story. But as we've talked about week after week, the book of Judges is filled with this cycle of God's people turning their back on what God has asked them to do. They worship idols. They're not faithful to God. And so he allows people to come in and overtake them and, 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 and uh, uh, kind of like rule over Israel. And then the judges come with, with strength and violence. And Samson's the biggest example of that and drives people out. And of course, the cycle perpetuates over and over again. And so Samson is kind of the exclamation point on that cycle. Well, well, finally we'll have someone that's bigger and stronger than anybody else, and he'll finally deliver Israel. But of course, uh, the book ends, and it's just as violent as it was at the start. One thing that's super interesting is in Judges 17.25, it talks about how the Spirit of God took over Samson when it was finally time for him to kind of go to work and, and uh, start this business of, of, of judging the, the Philistines. And the word that it uses for, the verb that it uses for the Holy Spirit of God taking over Samson is to pound or pulsate. So God gave Samson this ability to pound or pulsate. And again, for a chapter or two, it looks great. But of course, violence just always brings more violence. Look at the Balkans. Look at all these political areas with ethnic strife. Violence just brings about more violence, generation after generation. And that's another flaw of the Samson story. Well, uh, believe it or not, we're almost halfway done. I told you I was going to give you the, uh, the, the, the quick version. What I really want to point out is that the failures of Samson are meant to give us hope in Jesus in a different way to lead, a different style of leadership, a different methodology. So I just have kind of two final points that I want to make that I think are really encouraging aspects of this Old Testament violent story. First one is this. We get to the end of the story and we get to that passage that I uh, read to you guys when the sermon started, uh, and it's about Samson's death. And he, he's, he's in this temple. Every, all of God's enemies are feasting. And he takes his arms and he puts them on the pillar. And up to this point, he has not used his gifts appropriately. Like, there's been some victories, but for the most part, he's been, he's been pretty much a, a, a failure. And he, he asks God for his strength to return. He pushes over the temple. Thousands of Philistines are dead. And a lot of scholars have pointed out that just in that brief glimpse of the last 15 seconds of Samson's life, we get a glimpse of Jesus. Because Samson saved God's people in his death with his arms outstretched. And that kind of gets our attention, that foreshadows that Jesus would save God's people in his death, with his arms outstretched. Now the encouraging thing that I want to point out is Samson was a huge priest his whole life. He failed almost every single day, and he, he acted like Jesus for 15 seconds, and God did amazing things through that. So if God can work through a creep like Samson, he can work through a creep like me. He can work through a flawed person like you. So I just want to point out the encouraging aspect is that there was a redemptive tiny little brief pulse of Samson's life right there at the end. God used it in dramatic ways. And if, if, if he can do that through Samson, just giving 20 seconds, imagine what he can do through your life. Imagine what he can do through my life. If we're able to give more than 20 seconds, right? More than, more than just that little brief 
liquor. And this is what I think is the most beautiful part of uh, this part of Scripture. And this is what I think so beautifully points us to Jesus. I want to point out kind of the three main characteristics of what Samson is kind of known for and how those are reversed and solved in Jesus. So let's wrap up with this. I've already kind of hinted at this, and if you've been skimming the story, you've seen it with your own eyes. Samson exploits his followers, but Jesus empowers his. Think about all the women that Samson comes across. And it's like, you know, it's just, for him, it's a conquest. For him, it's just somebody to claim. Samson absolutely is exploiting the people around him um, until he gets exploited by Delilah. And so you just have this pattern of just the worst ways that people can treat each other. But think about the vulnerable people that Jesus comes across. Jesus comes across the woman at the well, and even his disciples want to shun her. Even his disciples don't want anything to do with her. And by the end of the chapter, Jesus has turned her into a preacher. And she's giving her testimony in her community. We're told that there's this woman, Mary, that's mentally unwell. She's spiritually unwell. She's, she's trapped. She's afflicted. Jesus heals her, and she becomes one of his most loyal followers. There's the story in the middle of John where there's this woman and they're at this party and she's uh, putting perfume on Jesus' feet and, and this Pharisee's like, if you knew what she did, you wouldn't let her touch you. And of course, what's so beautiful about the story is that, 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 that John is telling the story and Jesus is using the illustration because she understood that when he died and resurrected again, there would be no more need for burial perfume. It's a beautiful glimpse of the gospel is highlighted through that woman that others are shunning and Jesus is empowering. So uh, the challenge of today's sermon is so much of us want the basketball book on, on, on how, to, how to lead and win. So many of us go back to our offices or our marriages or our parenting and we are willing to be a till of the hunt. If we get our way, we don't care what happens in the process. But remember, Samson's style of leadership, Samson exploits people, Jesus empowers, and it makes a huge difference. All right, number two, I think this is so beautiful, I might tear up. So over and over again, we see that Samson smashes and crushes everybody in his way. Um, there's this one part where he picks up the jawbone of a, of a donkey, which is basically like a hammer, and he kills an army of like a thousand people. Think about how horrifically violent of a death that would be. And that's kind of what we're celebrating as we read the story of Samson. Then at the end of the story in that passage that I read, the temple is falling and, and all these stone blocks are just crushing people. And it's, again, it's horrifically violent. Samson gets his way by smashing and crushing. But Jesus comes and shows us another way. And Jesus gets his way by being smashed and being crushed. And in the Gospels detail, all the bones that were broken uh, when Jesus was beaten. And he talks about all the, the whippings and the lashings that he took. And basically, everybody, every other leader, all those other 20,000 books, tell us how, how we can win by crushing anybody that's in our way. But Jesus shows us how we get our way by being crushed and being broken. Was it last week that we had communion? Or was it two weeks ago? I think it was last week, and um, I set out all the elements. So, you know, you're pouring all the little grape juices, um, and I got crackers uh, that represent, you know, Christ's body that's 
crushed for us, but like I always miscount, like I always underestimate, and there were way more people than we had crackers. And right as I was turning to the table, I realized that if everybody took a full cracker, there probably wasn't going to be enough. So really quick, I tried to think of a solution. I wasn't being profound. I just was trying to solve a problem. So I grabbed the crackers and I broke them so that there would be a bunch of little tiny fragments. I went back to my seat and I thought about how profound that is because communion is received because it's broken. Christ's body is, we're able to receive the gospel because Jesus died on the cross for us. And again, it would be really easy to read the story of Samson and be like, that is barbaric and there is nothing about Jesus in that story. But Jesus is in the contrast between leaders who will break and smash anyone in their way to get what they want and this new way that Jesus has been smashed and crushed to get his way. It's, it's, it's so counterintuitive. It's the beauty of the New Testament. It's the beauty of the Gospel. It's the beauty of God's redemptive story written right from the front. And let's end with this. This is a detail that I didn't notice until I really read through the story four or five times this week. Um, but there's all this terminology, there's all these adjectives, there's all these words that describe a, a destructive fire. We've all seen a forest fire that just comes through at Yellowstone and just burns everything in its path. And so the narrator is, is, is using those types of words to describe everybody that Samson interacts with. As a matter of fact, the name Samson in Hebrew literally means the potency of the sun. Think about how hot the sun is. Think about how many people, poor people that are sitting in that sunlight right now and how uncomfortable it is. I, um, and so, so Samson is all about this destructive fire. Uh, it tells us that um, one of the ways that he, he, he torments his Philistine enemies is he takes all these torches and he burns down their fields. Uh, it talks about how the first couple times they try to tie him up in ropes, that he rips through the ropes like a wick of a candle. So there's, again, there's just all these words that are basically describing that every time Samson encounters people, it's almost like this destructive fire. And then that's contrasted, that's reversed in the example of Jesus. It tells us in Acts 2 that there's all these spiritual seekers that are gathering. It's the story of Pentecost. And all of a sudden it says these little tiny fires appear over all these diverse people. And it's a unifying fire. And, and, and now people can understand each other. And they understand the commonality that they have because they are all saved through the crushing, through the breaking of Jesus. So again, we see another contrast between the flaws of Samson and the, and the greater, more beautiful deliverer to come. Um, I was trying to think of an example of like what a unifying fire is like. Maybe a campfire, right? Campfire brings people around together. When I was in college, uh, we would drive up to northern Michigan and there was this thing called the Paulding Light. Have you guys ever heard of that? It's this really weird phenomenon and I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just this weird light that just appears in this spot in the forest. So we walk out there through the woods. I mean, we were really bored, right? And uh, there wasn't a lot else to do. And, and we'd be looking at this weird light, and then there'd be locals sitting in their lawn chairs, drinking beer, looking at the falling light, and there would be tourists. We couldn't understand what it was, but it just brought all these people together to just kind of ponder the mystery of what created that phenomenon. Again, we are all united by what Christ has done for us.
In the same way, we're, we're different people, we're diverse people, but we have this similar origin story of the leadership of Jesus and how it's united us and kind of changed the way that we look at leadership. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and wrap up our service. And as they do, I just kind of want to give a summary statement. The life of Samson just kind of pokes and prods us of all the failures of human leadership. And we've had bosses, and we've had parents, and we've had co-workers that have the leadership flaws of Samson. If we're willing to be real, we have probably often displayed the leadership and the, 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 the personality flaws of Samson. Um, but of course, those, those create attention and those get us to ask, where, where, where do we find hope? Where can we find a different way of leading and interacting with others? And I think the book of Judges so beautifully points to Jesus uh, in the way that uh, Samson's leadership failures are resolved and reversed in Jesus. I hope I have given you guys some things to think about uh, but more specifically, I hope that I've just kind of just pointed your eyes at the beauty of Jesus and how he does things differently than every other leader does things and how that gives us hope and then that gives us a pattern, a transformative pattern to follow. So think about that as we wrap up with these final thoughts.